Hi, this is Kutsia Naki, and welcome to Down to the Struts, the podcast about disability, design, and intersectionality. Today, we'll listen in on my conversation with Robert Kingett. Robert is a totally blind, gay, essayist, author, and freelance journalist. Robert and I talked about his journey to becoming a writer, why we need more queer disabled voices represented in fiction, and how he created the anthology Artificial Divide, which showcases the short stories of blind writers. Okay, let's get down to it. Thank you so much, Robert, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Uh, sure. I'm I'm v- v- very happy to be here. So, yay. <laughs> Great. Well, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and what got you interested in, in writing fiction? Sure. So I'm a, a totally blind uh Caucasian male. Um, I am very thin, so I look malnourished, but I can assure you I'm not. (laughs) I am a gay male, and I'm an author and a uh, journalist, and primarily a personal essayist, but I have done quite a bit of journalism in terms of like um, investigative reporting and other types of journalism. So uh, what got me into fiction work um, is fiction is a lot it, it it's a more expensive playground that'll let me play around with uh, concepts and things like that and I don't have to stick to the truth or what really happened or this and that and this and that and also I've learned that fiction is a great way to explore um, social issues and how to educate the reader about various uh, social issues without having the veneer of a lecture. That's so true. It's mm-hmm. it's a way to play with the truth, I guess, in a certain sense. So, yes. what, um, you know, what? How did what you read as a as a as a young person, um, in terms of your your consumption of fiction, how did that influence you know how you approach your own work? Yeah, sure. So, um, so I read a lot of different things as a kid and uh, and some of those were not for children um but i was a very 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 uh precocious um young person so i would read things way above my 
um, my grade uh, level, and also um, I just read a lot of different kinds of work that it, it embodied different writing styles so that I could take away um, the parts I liked about it and the parts I did not like about it. So, for example, I w was like 11 or 12, I read Flowers in the Attic, which is definitely not for 11, 12 year olds. <laughs> it's, it's by V.C. Andrews, um, and um, she's long dead now, but she um, she has a ghost writer, um, and um, um, but I was looking. Um, I guess there was a deeper part of me that was looking uh, for disabled people and hoping that I would actually be influenced by disabled writers. And since I wasn't really finding a lot of that, hardly any of that, um, as a child, I just took from whatever I liked from the mainstream while while hoping that that you know eventually I would see more uh, disability representation in literature, uh, in particular blindness and visual impairment. So, um, so, so different uh, books had different influences in my life, but I also wanted something more. I definitely looking back on books that I've read as as a child and I consumed. I also was always reading above my grade level level and loved loved to read fiction um, as a young person. And you know, I didn't even think about it truly. I wasn't sort of in a place of consciousness about my disability, even. But but it's true. You know, you saw very few representations of of blind people in literature, and if they were, they they sort of played into uh, you know, tropes that we all are very familiar with, either a yeah. person who should be inspirational to others, a person who is a tragedy because of their blindness, um, just the common kind of tropes that disabled characters often find themselves fitting into. I was very much like you. I wasn't very consciously aware of my disabilities. I... To be clear, like I wasn't um, hunting for it, like on a daily basis in in, uh, in literature, but I would get super super excited, even if those poorly represented uh, tropes came on the page. So that's where I was at. Um, 
now my standards have grown and I don't want to read those kinds of harmful tropes anymore. Yeah, exactly. Once you come into that consciousness, it's hard to hard to unsee it, if you will. Um, but <laughs> you recently um, were working on a project, which I, I'm so um, honored and privileged that you shared with me, which is called Art- Artificial Divide, which is a, an anthology that you've edited. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how Artificial Divide came to be? Yeah, sure, sure. It came from actually a um watching a, 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 a twitter uh pitching contest so um so traditional publishing uh really likes to have um pitching contests probably to make themselves feel more validated or something i guess now that there's all, all alternatives to gatekeeping and the status quo. Uh, so I was reading through those. I love to read um, the people who post on these things because I find so many great uh, books to keep track of and to watch out for except i was not seeing anything by blinder visually visually impaired authors and this happened for about three years in a row and i'm like okay well something is just not right like i i should be able to find very easily a blind or visually impaired uh, fiction writer. So there's tons of memoirs and tons of nonfiction and not knocking any of those stories. Those stories are very important. We need more of those kinds of stories. But at the same time, like, I get kind of burnt out at reading about someone dealing with an ableist society and it's someone in real life you know what i mean um so i wanted to see a fictional story where the characters just happen to be blind or visually impaired and they they um were dealing with a fantasy world or or with a science fiction twist on the screen reader for example or just just anything that wasn't non-fiction and i was not finding anything so i just woke up one morning and I'm like, okay, nothing is out there. So I'm going to create this product that does not exist or may not exist uh, in large quantities. 
That's so awesome. So how did you find all of the authors that are represented in the anthology? I put out a course for submissions and then I spammed every blind and visually impaired person that I knew and said, please, for the love of guide dogs everywhere, <laughs> share this with your network, share this, share this. Um, and and uh, luckily, a lot of people were like, hey, this looks cool. I want to share it. And I'm like, yay, maybe I'll get some submissions. That was not, not the case. I received tons of submissions from blind or visually impaired people in Nigeria, in, in Australia, uh, in Canada, and of course, and in the U.S. and um, just a lot of writers all over the world, Japan also. Uh, and um, and that was <laughs> that was hugely liberating to me. And I'm like, yes, I know that I'm actually doing something right. So so that's so I was very happy that uh, my network put up with my spamming and shared it so <laughs> yay. That's, that's wonderful and i you know i'm i'm working my way through the um the audio version of the book and i i love how um it, it does exactly what you describe so many different stories so many different characters some you know deeply lovable some more complicated uh to wrap mm -hmm. your head around and you don't erase their blindness. Their blindness is very visible and seen in these stories, but it isn't the central sort of focus of the plot. Of exactly. And I, I love that about it. And it's it. Um, I, I love um, you know science fiction and fantasy, and I I feel like it it really speaks to that. Many of them speak to that sort of a genre, and they just sort of transport you on the terms of the blind person who's writing, who's the who's the author, which I find so lovely. Exactly, and thank you for acknowledging that the anthology was a success, or is a success i should say mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, it's i um it's it's validating to me and it should be validating to all of you that there is a market out here even if you can't break through to the mainstream or to those gatekeepers there's someone out there that is hungry for your kind of storytelling. And so just trying not to uh, give up. It, there's an audience for, for your creation. You just have to find it. 
Yeah. So what do you hope that people who read Artificial Divide will will take away from it? That blindness is, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. And I also want people to take away that it is possible to have fiction stories with blind or visually impaired characters in them and have them be exceptional uh, stories, have them be great stories and whimsical stories and tragic stories. And I want people to realize that there's untapped pool of talent out here. And if you don't uh, capitalize on that talent, then someone else will. So gatekeeping is is not as uh, productive as you think it is. That's great. What do you hope to see change in the publishing industry as you've worked, you know, as a as a writer of fiction yourself, as a journalist? What do you think needs to change in order to to get more of these voices heard and get these voices to their audiences? Yes. It's a common practice in the publishing industry, but it's not widely known. So publishers, and we're talking about publishers with a lot of money and a lot of resources, they are the ones that actually control the market, you know? Um, Like, um, like, for example, there was a brief time when vampires were not cool, and and there was a time when vampires were, were cool, and that was because of publishing, putting out all these different variations of, of vampire books. And there's a common thing that happens in the in Industry and it, it's um it really uh creams my corn uh so to speak um it the publishers have this misconception that because disability is so niche that we should not flood the market with disabled material that the general public can only handle one kind of disabled author at a time, whether that's per publishing cycle or per year or per decade or something like that. And that needs to completely go away. Publishing really, really needs to, uh, really needs to get over themselves and publish more disabled voices in one year or or one publishing cycle or or one 
decade. Yeah, I think that's there's sort of a tokenism that happens right in the publishing industry where it's it's you know we have our one disabled author and we've done our job when yeah, in exactly. reality we're talking about <laughs> disabled people m- make up a quarter of the US population for example if we're looking at this country that's a pretty big market if if I say so <laughs> it again like it truly is and publishing hasn't grasped this concept yet that there's an audience that you're not tapping into it just baffles me why you would restrict your um your audience because you think that the general public won't care you know about having a wide range of disabled authors it just baffles me to to know yeah yeah (laughs) i agree and not even just having more than one disabled author but the idea that we can have more than one book that centers Mm, the experiences and the body and the and the worldview of a disabled character exactly you hit the nail on the head so robert uh the important question here where can people find your work and where can they find artificial divide sure yes so artificial divide is in in a lot of places um so the easiest way to locate it is to go to my website which is blindjournalist.wordpress.com. And if you go there, you'll see a landing page and that'll have a lot of links where you could purchase the ebook or the audio book or the print book, which is in large print uh, by default. That's fantastic. Well, I hope our listeners check out Artificial Divide. I can tell you it's it's a wonderful collection of stories by blind and low vision authors. And um, I hope everyone grabs a copy and visits Robert's uh website to check out more of his work as well. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for joining me. This has been such a delightful and illuminating conversation. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Down to the Struts. This podcast would not be possible without the energy and creativity of our audio producer, Alana Nevins, and our social media manager, Avery Adipole. If you'd like to become a patron and support the awesome team that brings this podcast to life, visit patreon.com slash down to the struts. You can also join our Facebook group, Down to the Struts Podcast, to become part of our growing community. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Down to the Struts. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen.
or you can do none of that and simply enjoy the conversations that you find here. Stay tuned for the sixth and final episode of season four coming to you on February 15th. I am beyond excited to share my conversation with the fabulous Cheryl Green and Thomas Reed. As veteran disabled creatives, Cheryl and Thomas were among my most important advisors as I created Down to the Struts. I have learned so much from them over the past year and I'm delighted to share their infinite wisdom with you. Plus a very exciting announcement about their new collaboration. You'll have to stay tuned to learn more. Find me back in your feeds in two weeks so we can get back down to it.